Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. I'll be reading to you from Romans, Paul's uh, book to the Romans, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, And then skipping over to verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown you, they Two may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he can be merciful to all. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading continues our journey in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. The story that we know as the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman. Listen again with fresh ears. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he didn't answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Such a joy to be with all of you and be seeing you again. It really does change the dynamic, and it really does make a different place for us, and I know it does for you as well. We thank God for the opportunity, and for those at home, you are still with us. We are still together. So this passage is one that we know fairly well. You have this woman You have Jesus, you have disciples, and there's even mention of a dog. A dog. 
Not too long ago, over the summer, the Deeth family, we got ourselves a new little pup. Vicky texts me one day and says, look at this. She says, meet me at the shelter. I'm like, oh boy. Now, we had been looking for some time. We've had one family dog that was a Shih Tzu that we brought from uh, when we got him when he was six years old. His owner had died of cancer, and so we took him as our family's first pet. Dog was great. We loved him and came to, Tallahassee, uh, to, to Columbus from Tallahassee, and he died about a year ago, old age. He was a good dog. We loved the dog. So we've been kind of looking here and there. And I knew that if Vicki was telling me to meet her at the shelter, we were in trouble. <laughs> so I went, and as soon as I walk in, there she is at the door with the dog. Like, it's over. Why did you even call? Just bring the dog home. It's sweet. It's cute. We have one picture um, just to give you a little uh, insight um, that's him. That's Rue, R-O-U-X, as in the thickening agent of fat and flour, I guess, and stews and gumbo and soups and things like that. Uh, sweet little dog. How many have ever trained a puppy from scratch? We need to meet after worship today. What kind of dog is it? Well, it's an American American Bulldog mixed with Collie. They knew the parents, the whole uh, litter was there. And of course, ours was the best. Uh, but we've not trained a dog before. We've had, as I said, one dog and we got him as an adult already trained. It has proven to be quite the challenge. Um, he is quite stubborn. The challenge is great as the reward is good. It's like having another child. The first week or so, it was every two hours. When my children were infants, they were every two hours. And we just reverted back to that schedule. Well, actually, I had the night, overnight. Uh, and then the girls, since they were home, everybody would have an hour with the dog. Everybody had time. Well, and we didn't know what we were doing. It's been a joy and it's been a struggle. We're getting there. Not fully potty trained just yet, but getting there. Not fully leashed yet. Can't go fully out. Parvo hasn't been fully vaccinated yet. That takes time. It's this joy and challenge. But today, a dog is being mentioned by Jesus. Is it our sweet little pup? Well, let's take a look. So we're in chapter 15. We're in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Oh, look, there's, wait, there's like a weatherman. Here's, there's a cool front coming down through Jericho to hit Jerusalem. Okay, so up here you see Sidon, that's the red way up top, and then Tyre is right here. Where is Jerusalem? It's mm, down there. Um, yes, you see the Dead Sea at the bottom, Jerusalem is just to the, to the west of that. Um, so you have the Dead Sea, you have the Jordan River, that thin little line, then you have the Sea of Galilee, that body of water right around there. And so, so Tyre and Sidon are northwest of where really the Israelites are, where Jerusalem is, where a lot of those cities are that Jesus 
dwells and, and travels in. And it's not populated with Israelites, with Jews. It is mainly Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. And so Jesus starts heading out that way, and the disciples are probably saying, why, why are we going there? And when he gets there, a woman meets him, or at least on the way there, we're not sure. A woman comes to him and starts screaming at them. We know this because the disciples say, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. And she's saying, Lord, son of David, help my daughter. She's possessed by a demon. And already, as we know, several cultural barriers have been broken. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. Those were two biggies. She wasn't able to approach Jesus directly because of the classes and the roles in that day. And yet she comes and she starts shouting. And she proclaims Jesus as Lord, which could be just a title of a kind of master or mister even, depending on the circumstances. But then she says, son of God, which is messianic which is a way that somehow this Gentile woman, a non-Jew from outside of the house of Israel, number one, knew Jesus was coming. Number two, knew that he had been doing healings and amazing and miraculous things were happening. And three, she's going to muster up the courage to speak directly to him, even though it's not only the 12, there are crowds that move with Jesus at this point. We are uh, in chapter 15 and moving forward. So we're a little bit, we're about halfway through, but folks are following Jesus wherever he goes. So courageous is this lady. And Jesus, well, I don't know how else to say. Jesus isn't very nice to her. First, the disciple, first he ignores her, doesn't respond to her. Oh, Master, oh, Lord, even when she recognizes who he is, son of David, my daughter needs your help. She's possessed by a demon. Nothing. And then the disciples say, oh, send, send her away. Good, good gracious. She keeps shouting. She's so loud. Send her on. And then he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which pretty much says, you are out of luck, my friend. You are not of the house of Israel. I was not sent to take care of you, to love you, to heal you, to be with you, even though he was there intentionally. Just a lost, lost sheep of Israel. And this is a quote from Matthew 10 when he sends the 12 out. For that first round, you can, you can heal, you can do all kinds of things, shake off the dust of people if they don't receive your words of peace. Don't go to any Gentiles, don't go to any Canaan, not Canaanites in the area. Stay in this phrase, you were sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Same, same phrase. And now she shifts her tactics. She started shouting, and then she falls to her knees at the feet of Jesus. And she says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Does Jesus answer her yet? Or is he kind or receptive to her yet? No. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Oh, there are dogs. Equating Israel to the children and the Gentiles to the dogs. Now, dog was, to us, dogs are cute and fluffy. There are loving companions. But there are still some words that have to do with dogs that are offensive to us, even in this day. One of the slurs that Jews would say against Gentiles is that they were dogs. And even if it is a diminutive, diminutive interpretation of not necessarily a wild, aggressive, stray dog, maybe a house dog, it doesn't change the fact that this is a slight to this woman and all Gentiles. It is a racial slur. She is racially different. Her religion is different. Her gender is not appropriate for her to approach Jesus. And Jesus doesn't call her directly to say you're a dog, but all Gentiles, you are all dogs. And very quickly, or I see it in my mind very quickly, and so sharp is, and so tenacious is this woman, she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the dogs get something from the meal. All kinds of great stories. Insert here, your own, your children feeding the dog under the table. But yes, the dogs do get the scraps from the children who are supposed to be at the table. And right away, things change and Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish and her daughter was healed instantly. Now, two other times have, has Jesus in Scripture affirmed people because of their faith, or in this case, their great faith. One was in Matthew 8, if you remember the, the Roman official whose servant was ill, and he went to Jesus and said, my, my servant is, is dying, can you, can you help? And Jesus says, oh, I'll come. And, and the the official says, no, you don't need to come. Just like me, I, you're just like me. I delegate because I'm an officer and I tell people to do things and it's done. You just say the word, Jesus. You don't even have to come to the house. You just say the word and that servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel because he believed by just uttering a word that Jesus had that power. In the next chapter, Matthew 9, it's the hemorrhaging woman for 12 years, if you remember. And she was the one who kind of snuck up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his, his, his cloak. And Jesus said, who did that? Who did that? I, I'm sorry, Lord. I, 
Woman, you are healed by your faith. And then this is the third example. This Gentile woman who shouts and screams and then bows and worships and says, help me. And then has a little verbal sparring with Jesus. Woman, great is your faith. All three of those cases are people outside of who it was appropriate for Jesus to be in ministry to and with. Each of those three. So all kinds of great things to think about and to learn here. One of the biggest ones is that this woman struggles with Jesus. Struggles with him. And I'm not going to lie and explain this away and say that Jesus wasn't nasty to her because he was. Or to say that maybe it's not as harsh as it sounds. Well, it was. Now, the way that I interpret this, because where does Jesus go after this? He turns around and comes back. We don't know that he saw anybody. He went anywhere, didn't go to anybody's home. It's as if he went directly for this conversation. As if he was starting the disciples on seeing and understanding that he came for more than the house, than the sheep of the house of Israel. The Roman official story in Matthew 8 that I told you ends with Jesus saying, and they shall come from east and west to eat at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the heavenly kingdom. That preceded that first one, and this is a similar feel to it. I think Jesus is starting to teach them that there's a bigger picture involved here that will lead to Matthew 28, as we say in Matthew's parameters, the very last few phrases when Jesus has been crucified, been resurrected, has appeared to them and taught them post-resurrection, and now they gather on the mountain before Jesus ascends and says, go forth and baptize all people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go to all people, all kingdoms, all places, all nations. I think this is a part of that peace for those who have been gathered. But for the woman, what would our response be if we went to somebody for whom we were excited about, might have the information that we need, the sole owner of something or some way that can help us? And we go to that person, and that person shuts you down rudely. That never happens in life, does it? All the time. And this woman had several choices. If we were following the way our national politicians interact with one another, she would have made her ask, been shut down, and then she would have turned personal, made some personal attack against Jesus. You Jews, I knew it. I knew you wouldn't help. I don't think you have the power. You're too dumb to heal my daughter. You're not the Messiah, son of David. And then goes back to her city to rally support against this 
so-called Messiah and these Jews that they hated anyway. Could have shut herself down right there. Could have burned that bridge with the anger that must have flared there for just a second. But she didn't. She came back. It's not a fight or flight. It's not a black or white. She kind of came, found another spot to come back to Jesus. And she was witty in her response to him. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. There must be something for us in this feast, in this plan, at this table of God, Christ, and salvation. And right away, Jesus responds, yes, yes, well done. Great is your faith. She is healed and she was. And there's a lot here that as we move toward the national election, we need to pay attention to. She didn't go after Jesus, literally demonizing him because he didn't give her what she wanted. We need to work against that in the relationships of our life. She could have shut it down, burnt that bridge, been angry at Jesus and gone away. Was this woman standing up for all Gentiles and women in a, in a social justice kind of way? I don't think so. She, she was, but she didn't know that. This was a mother whose child was being tormented. And she wasn't going to stop until she received help for this child. She was going to do everything she could, which is why she approached Jesus in the first place, which she knew, they all knew, was a big no-no. Her child was suffering. We know some of what that's like from time to time. But she didn't get mad and walk away or call Jesus names. She came back and said, yes, Lord, but. She had this conversation, this struggle with Jesus. Our faith is a struggle. We know that. The journey is not an easy one, nor was it meant to be, nor did Jesus ever say it would be. From Jacob, who wrestles with the angel in Genesis 32, and changes his name to Israel, which means one who strives with God, one who contends with God, one who struggles with God. Remember, popped his thigh joint out of socket just to make sure you know that this really happened and this wasn't just a dream. Oh, thanks. And at times we feel like that woman shouting at God, why, why? Why does my loved one have to suffer? Why does this have to happen to me? Why are we experiencing? Why can't we get through this virus? Why can't we figure out how to respect and honor one another? And if we don't get the answer we want, and this woman literally got silence from Jesus, her first round of asking for his help, even after addressing him as a son of, son of David, which I'm not sure how many more of the crowd there would have or understood. She was way ahead of the curve on understanding Jesus. She could have stopped then when she got no response. Sometimes we loft and lob prayers up in the air and think that they have no destination and they 
fizzle and deteriorate away into the sky. But it's not the case, friends. We've got to be persistent, and this woman was. Persistence in this struggle with God. Struggle isn't all bad. We struggle with the relationships that are probably closest to us, whether that's parent-sibling, whether that is spouses, good friends, close extended family, difficult relationships you struggle with. And at times they yield wonderful, great reward, and at times they, they push you to difficult places of literal struggle and conflict. It's not any different with God. We need, excuse me, we need to trust that God is there and hears our prayers. We need to trust that God never abandons us or turns his back on us. And how we treat one another does matter. If you've heard the name Brené Brown, she has gotten a lot of popularity lately. She's got one of the top five most viewed uh, TED Talks. She's a research professor at University of Houston. She's been visiting professor in management at UT Austin. And she's been doing a lot of work in the area of vulnerability. Interesting. And one of the things she talks about, her definition of vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. We often see vulnerability as weakness, but her kind of bottom line phrase is that only through vulnerability can we be courageous. Quickly, a few of her quotes. Vulnerability allows us to access fearlessness. We can measure how brave we are by how vulnerable we're willing to be. It is so much easier to cause pain than to feel pain. And those work it out, and those who are not aware of their vulnerability or courage are working it out on other people. When you don't acknowledge your vulnerability, you work out stuff on other people, stop working your stuff out on other people. And she uses other words for stuff. And she says, if you are willing to show up and be seen when we can't control the outcome, that is vulnerability. You have to walk through vulnerability to gain courage. Now, this woman, I think, if you said, is she strong or is she weak? We would say, she is strong. She is standing against the norms of the day. She is approaching this rabbi, this teacher, this possible Messiah, through this crowd, through the disciples. She is making these claims. She's begging for help, and she is shouting. That is strength. But even standing before him is also being vulnerable because she knows that negative consequences could befall her. She knows that she could be jailed, imprisoned, or worse for even approaching him. She humbles herself at the foot, 
at the feet of Christ, she makes herself vulnerable, which to Jesus becomes strength. And Jesus sees this, appreciates this, and tells her that through her vulnerability and courage, her faith has made her great. So as we go forward this morning, know that you are being called like this woman to be in, to struggle with this journey of faith. At times it will be amazing and at times it will be difficult and we will feel like she that maybe God really isn't there or no one's listening to my prayers, but God is and Christ is. We must remain persistent and diligent so that we too continue to struggle with God. That is our vulnerability and that's where we will find our courage, strength, and faith. And as we get closer to November, know that there are other ways that things aren't always so black and white. We don't have to burn bridges. We don't have to go and make demons of everyone because they disagree. Stay true to what you believe. But she came back at Jesus with persistence, humbleness, and respect. Let us seek to do the same. Hallelujah. Amen.